myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past Good evening and welcome to NUFC Matters. It's Tuesday night. I hope you've all had a, a nice day out in the sunshine. Those of you who are looking after uh, the kids at half term, I know I certainly have. And uh, it's a big welcome, as always, on a Tuesday night, Liam Kennedy. Uh, but a special welcome uh, to friend of the show and uh, somebody who's uh, getting a bit more sun than we are at the moment, uh, Lee Clark. How are you, Lee? I'm all right, Steve. Okay, Liam. Good stuff. Right. Yeah, good. Good to see you as well, uh, Liam. And um, yeah, I mean, hey, uh, this is this is great. These pictures made me smile enormously when uh, I, I saw you getting announced, and I saw you back on the training pitch, Lee. And um, uh, you know, you know, just to see you enjoying life as a football manager, which is what you were cut out to be when you retired, mate. And uh, you know, obviously, from from my point of view, just over the moon to see it happening again, mate. And it seems to be going well. So, for those people who've been living in a cave for the last few months, where where in the world are you, and who are you managing? Yeah, um, I'm I'm in Sudan at the moment. I'm managing uh, Al Marik, which is uh, one of the biggest clubs in Africa. Um, and also, you know, uh, we compete in the Ch African Champions League, compete in the Arab Champions League, obviously the Sudan League, and our big rivals in that's a cl club called Al Hilal. Um, they were appointed at the same time as me, Richard Forminska, who was um, Jose Mourinho's number two at all these English clubs. So he come in at a similar time. We beat them in the first game of the season last weekend 2-0 at their ground it's a huge derby the only downside for us was there's no fans because they get 35,000 league league games and Champions League and we fill what's known as our Red Castle the home stadium we get 43,000 so I had the experience of the lead up to the game we train at the stadium of allowing the fans in and there was about four or five hundred fans came in and the noise they generated was 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 un unreal so i was just gutted there was no fans allowed in the stadium for, for the match really but it's nip and tuck we're a point ahead of them uh they play tomorrow afternoon and we play tomorrow night um so it's probably similar to 95 96 when newcastle and man united were following each other around <laughs> hopefully it's a better outcome this time you're checking the team list for canton now aren't you <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it, the opposition. Hilal, they do have a fantastic striker. Um, he's at, his younger brother actually plays for me at Merrick, so uh, I, I'm trying everything to to stop him being on form. He scored four; the one four nil in the last game. Hilal, and he scored all four of the goals. So we're trying to uh, prevent it. But you know, it's it's a big rivalry. Most the two teams produce most of the players for the national team who are on a big wave of success. They are qualified for the African Nations uh, in Cameroon for the first time in a decade. I was at the game. They beat South Africa over two legs. And um, so Sudan football's looking up. It's, uh, you know, it's the passion of the, the support is, is unbelievable of the fans. You, I walk around um, Khartoum where I'm based, yeah, and uh, they just... You know, they, they, they want to talk football, but obviously my Arabic is not too great, too great, to be honest with you. Now, I was going to ask, I was going to uh, ask this, are they, uh, is Lee Clark fluent now in Arabic or are those people out there now fluent in Geordie? There's a bit of both because uh, one of their words is I, which means yes, <laughs> <laughs> which is part of the Geordie dialect. Shukran, thank you. Um so just various little things like that I'm picking up. But it is, I've got a couple of good guys, uh, a fitness coach of mine who's from Egypt originally, but he's been based in the States for the last 10 years before I brought him here. He obviously speaks uh, good good English and obviously Arabic and uh, an analyst who's studied in uh, London for seven years in a university. So he they help with the language. There's no issues with the language barrier. Um that, that's fine. So, and I'm enjoying. Well, you can it. work in Blythe. You can work anywhere, Lee. I'm only joking, <laughs> Blythe fans. Only joking. Well, yeah, I mean, don't start a pile on this. Dude. Come on. <laughs> the, heat, the, the heat, the heat's mad, guys. We trained at eight o'clock this morning. Wow. And we're probably hitting the early forties, and it's probably about forty-eight, forty-nine now. We trained yesterday afternoon. It was forty-nine, and it was uh, 
it, it was tough. But you know, my, my lads are used to that. We we just come out of a training camp in Cairo in Egypt. We were there for three weeks, and because it dropped a few um, degrees in temperature, it was still high twenties, early thirties. My lads thought it was cold, so <laughs> <laughs> they're turning up with cardigans at and then you're like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it's a different ball game for me. But uh, what's no, the food like? What's the food like? Yeah, fine. You know, everything's good. Uh, just moved into an apartment. I've been in a hotel. Just moved into an apartment a couple of days ago. Um, so everything's good. Um, you know, the football's coming thick and fast. Mm-hmm. Have a little bit of a break because there's an international uh, meet up after these games on tomorrow. But uh, and then they'll come thick and fast because the season f- meant due to finish in August. But we've still got. 13 league games to play and as as I said we've got the start of the Arab Champions League to consider as well which we don't know our opponents yet I'm hoping it's a nice team in Dubai somewhere so I can have a nice little break on the back of it as well so um, yeah so yeah you know it's something different it was a challenge I wanted in terms of working overseas I always talked about that Um, I had to turn an opportunity down a couple of years ago when I'd accepted the job and agreed terms and, then, and on the day I was meant to travel, my father took poorly, unfortunately, so I wasn't prepared to go. And then this came about and I'd done the due diligence. And you know what? It'll, it'll, it could open some new doors for us for my future in coaching and management. I mean, one club we played in our group um, of the Champions League was Al-Ali, the Egyptian giants, who are basically the Real Madrid of African football. They've won the Champions League nine times. And they get eighty thousand every week. It, it's it's absolutely chocker. And we played them, and you know, we had a fantastic result two two. They scored an injury time, but they're now in the semi final of the competition. We left at the group stages. I only I was only in charge for two games. Um, there was only two games left in the group. So, so looking forward to getting back into that. That's why we need to win the league again to to qualify for that. Uh, but lots to look forward to. And the and the players, as you can imagine, very respectful, very humble. Um, really work hard, try to improve, and we've seen a, a, a real good improvement since we've took over. What three three months ago? Liam, Lee, do you I suppose like you've got any questions? Sorry. Go on, Liam. Yeah, go on, man. I was going to say, do you feel like it's added more strings to your bow, sort of going over there and, and sort of settling into a different culture, different players, different management, all that kind of thing? Is it has it been made you a better manager? I'm sure it will, Liam. Yeah, of course. I think it's it's going to be great to put in my CV to to do this, you know. Um, and as I said, it, who knows around this part of the world, the, the doors that it might open for us in the future. Um, you know, English football and UK football is becoming quite difficult to manage. You don't get a lot of time and the demands are sometimes a little bit unrealistic to what you're dealing with. Um so it's 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 just seeing it's I've had you know numerous agents on from the UK of English players and British players who are interested in coming over. So that's something to consider at the end of the season. Um, you know there is some rules and regs. We're allowed only allowed five overseas players, and in the league we have to play one under twenty player and one under twenty three player in the starting eleven to help their young national teams. So um, they have to obviously be Sudanese, uh, and if I replace them, I, I have to replace them with their age group. So for the full duration of the game, I'll have one under twenty player and one under twenty three player, which isn't a problem for me. I'm a big believer in young players, but I think it's a great idea going forward in terms of helping the young uh, international teams. It can cause issues, and it does, um, but you know it's something you've got to do. I mean. We've lost a couple of... We have like four on our books, so you'd have two playing possibly and, and, and two on the bench, or you might even play all four and then take two off, whatever. you just got to have two on the pitch all the time. We've currently got two of those injured, so I've had to call up three uh, youth players who I haven't really seen much of just in training, and we're probably going to have two of them on the bench tomorrow. And if one of one or two of those younger players get injured, they'll have to come into the into the fray. So making the debut really, um, you know, with not a lot of experience behind them. But it, it it's great. It's it's great for I think that's why there's been a um 
uh, improvement in the in the national team. Also, my goalkeeper has to be a, a Sudan national as well in terms of so I kind of bring an overseas goalkeeper in, but I can have over five overseas players in the group. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Great stuff. Well, anyone's got questions for, for Lee about his new job, then feel free to get them in. We do know, obviously, usually on a Tuesday, it's all about the takeover and uh, transfers. We will come to a little bit of that. I do want to get the lads' thoughts uh, on the season gone with Newcastle. We're doing that all week with the different uh, folks that we have on the shows. Um, so, player of the season, Lee. Um, 12th place. Great, great finish for Newcastle after, you know, makes you wonder what we're all worried about six, seven weeks ago. But that's football. We know it can happen um you know and credit to steve bruce and, and the rest of the the coaching staff and the players for getting them into that 12th place at the end of the season but um who was your player of the season lee yeah well just to reiterate what you said there steve the sit the finish to the season just shows you if you put a good run together in the premier league um it, it's it's a it's a terrific thing to do and as you just said there credit to the to the players and the, and the staff and the manager for coming through that awful period um, and to get a run like that and to finish 12th, I think, four or five weeks before that, it was whether we were going to finish third or fourth bottom. That was the, the question. So to, to get that after the run, brilliant. Brilliant for the season. Not not for what the club should be. You know my thoughts on that. Should always be looking to challenge to get into Europe, um, etc. But, you know, for what the... Um, beliefs are of the ownership and the ambitions of the ownership and how the season was going 12th is is, is a positive uh, outcome really but not not where the club should or want to be in terms of the players I've probably plumbed for two I plumbed for Carl Darlow at first I think if you take away some of his performances in the early part of the season that he made uh, games that were losing into draws and draws in the wins by some of the saves. I remember the game at the new Tottenham Stadium where he was inspired. It could have been five or six before half-time if it wasn't down to him. And uh, I think, you know, if Carl hadn't been in the form he was in with Dubravka being injured, there could have been, by the time Dubravka come back, probably no exaggeration to say there probably could have been anything between seven and ten points worse off than there were which would have probably put them in the bottom three. And then once you're in there, it is always a struggle to get out. Um, so I think what he'd done cannot be underestimated um, and, 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 not, and not be uh, you know, looked upon because I think it was fantastic. He'd be frustrated now to Brav come back in. Um, it's difficult. I remember being on the coaching staff uh, Steve Hawker came in for Shea. She had one of his very few injuries. And Steve came in and was brilliant. And I remember having the staff meeting um, when Shea came back fit and Glenn asked all the staff about their opinions um, if, if, if who should be in goal. I, I went for Steve just for the fact that he was in the team and he, he was doing well. And what message would it send out to Steve and other players if they got in and then someone, you know, come back fit and you were out? Was I saying that Shea Given wasn't world class and probably one of the best, if not the best, keeper to play up in Newcastle? Of course I wasn't. But I was always a big believer in, you know, someone's bad luck allows someone else in. And, uh, you know, and that was something that happened with Darlow. A couple of results later, I think Steve and his staff must have had the, 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 the thought process of going back for their, their number one and a keeper who's top quality in Dubravka. I felt, obviously, you did have to feel a little bit of, a bit sorry for, for Darlow after what he'd done. And then the other one is he didn't hit massive heights all the time, but for someone to do what he does, which is the hardest part of the game, is probably Callum Wilson with a completely different team when the guy's in it. Um, you know, where he he is a goal scorer. They they're very rare. They're very rare. And for a club. That was in our position to have one who scores on a regular basis like that was a big factor for us. One thing we'll have to do is try and get rid of these niggly injuries that he picks up because we do need to have him out on the pitch more often than we do. But I think for his level of performance when he played, um, the Everton game comes to mind. I think that was one of his games when you think that's him at his best, what he does, making those great runs, working the line, spinning down the sides of centre-backs, 
been a great outlet for the, the, the through pass or the diagonal pass over the top um, and, and, and works ever so hard for the team as well. And he scores all kinds of goals. I like him. He scores, you know, he's got the courage to take the penalties. He scores headers from inside the six-yard box. He'll score from outside the box. But and he's got that knack of what normal goal scorers have. He's not frightened to to miss chances. He's not frightened frightened to miss the sitter and go back a couple of minutes later in exactly the same position and be there. So, in terms of what he's brought to the team, I would say a player that you know when you're looking talking about player this season, people might define it on every time he's played, he's been brilliant. Has there been an outfield player that's done that this year? Probably not. I mean, even the other exciting player, Saint Maxim. Has had his ups and downs as well, hasn't he? But you know, um, probably them too. But if he was putting a, you know, as on the spot, I'd I'd, I'd have to say Darlow because you know, it, who knows where we would have been if it hadn't been for him in, in the early to middle part of the season. Great shout, Lee. Great shout, Liam. Your player of the season, mate. I can't really look too much past the second one that, that Lee said there as well. For me, it's it's Callum Wilson, head and shoulders. Um, I just look at the games that he did play. You mentioned the injuries there, Lee. And I think if he played a full season, you're looking at a 20-goal-a-season striker. It's just a case of getting him out on the pitch as much as possible. I think it was maybe 25 games he played. If he played the full 38 games in the season, he'd definitely get 20 goals. And Newcastle haven't really had many strikers like that over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, so for me, it's got to be Callum Wilson. Honourable mentions for the likes of... Uh, Look, St. Maximin, the way, the way he came back into the team and, and transformed things, but his consistency, there's a reason why he's at Newcastle United and isn't it a better, better club further up the division is because of that consistency. He, never, he doesn't produce it over a full season. I think we've seen it the last time, at the end of last season, he was excellent. And we've seen it at the end of this season as well. But the bits in between aren't so good. He drifts in and out of things. And, and I, I wonder whether sometimes it's a mentality thing because he's got everything. And when he wants it, and when he wants to play well, he can. He can turn it on like that. So honourable mention for him. And I think you've got to have an honourable mention as well for Joel Willock as well. I think I think the way that he probably came in and scored goals that meant Newcastle United weren't worried about relegation for the last, last, last six weeks of the season. But if we're going over a full season, it's got to be Callum Wilson for me. OK, good stuff. Um, game of the season, Lee. For me, it's got to be the result at uh, Leicester in the performance against a team who were flying uh, on that cup run, uh, pushing for the Champions League, outstanding manager and Brendan Rodgers, some terrific players, the way they played. You know, they've had some great results. And Newcastle won the game um, and, and thoroughly deserved it. The scoreline didn't flatter them at all. In fact, the scoreline in the end, the 4-2, probably flattered Leicester. Uh, Newcastle were outstanding on the night. That counter-attacking game was absolutely played to perfection. The speed at which they attacked, the quality of their attacks, and when you put it up against the opposition, you know, because that was part of that great run that they've had at the end. Uh, no, I think you'd, you'd, you'd be struggling to find, you know, lest I mentioned Everton earlier, that was probably up there. But when I put everything into consideration in terms of opponent, how well the opponent was playing at the time, uh, you know, what they were challenging for and what Newcastle were looking to do and to score four goals in any away game in the Premier League is very, very difficult. And against a team like that and the way they did it and they could have scored more and that general performance from start to finish was outstanding. Yep, same question to you, Liam. Game of the season for you? I'm going to go slightly different. Uh, I know this is going to sound totally mad because that Leicester game was absolutely incredible. To, to, to be 4-0 up, at a side playing so well as Leicester, I mean, in the Champions League, well, almost in the Champions League and all that kind of thing. They've been probably one of the home teams in the last three or four years in the Premier League. Fantastic stuff. But I'm going to go for Southampton at home, just purely because of the absolute drama. I've been, rarely ever, for me, what it did was, it, it, as a fan, as well as a football writer, it kind of made us feel again. I felt the emotion in that second half of that game. I kicked every ball, headed every cross out. I mean, just, just the drama, the way that Newcastle United went down to nine men at the end of the game. They were in cruise control at half-time. you seen Jeff Hendrick get needlessly sent off. Then it was panic stations when Ward-Prowse scored a fantastic free kick. And it was just hang on for dear life beyond that. Fabian Shaw gets injured at the end. It was just one of those games. I remember I wasn't at the game myself. I was covering it from the office. And it's a good job there was nobody in there because... The air was blue. I was jumping up and down. <laughs> Honestly, I was screaming when the final whistle went. So that, for me, was the game of the season because it was just absolute raw emotion. And it came on the back of a really 
you know, we'd had a really rough run of games in the run up to that, Paul from the Everton one. And and it was it was getting really difficult to watch Newcastle United because they were, it was grim um every weekend. And just feeling that again, just that little bit of feeling coming back was ticks all the boxes for me. Yeah, I would you know, I would agree. There's, there were some, you know, some good games towards the end of the season. I think that's that's where most people's focus was. And I think the Leicester game, rightly so. I mean, especially where they finished. You know, they won a trophy. Um, you know, the, up until the last game of the season, they were chasing Champions League positions as well. And um, you know, that was an outstanding, you know, an outstanding performance all round. Even though we conceded those two late goals, it was uh, you know, it didn't take any anything away from from that performance at all. So uh, yeah, um, I would agree with Lee on that. One. One um, best signing and and worst signing, Lee. I think um, again that's that's created a lot of a lot of talking points amongst not only supporters but the people who do this show. Um, what what was the best signing for you? Well, I've already touched on it um, in Callum Wilson. When any team in any level of football, if they're going to be successful, need a, a goal scorer, need someone who does it on a regular basis, and. Callum Wilson for the price, uh, I believe when we got him was a, a, a great, a great acquisition at a great price in the comp in the current market. And when he's played, he's he's proved that. Um, as I said earlier, uh, you know, don't want to keep repeating myself, but you know, just got to keep him fit. Got to get him on the pitch, as Liam said, as often as we can. If we keep him fit for the full thirty-eight games, then. He's going to be a massive asset. You know, you couple him with the players that we have around, if they can stay fit, and Maxim and Almiron, if they can be one or two additions uh, to the top end of the pitch as well. I think, you know, it's 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 brilliant. I think uh, you've seen the difference a goal scorer makes to Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins, you see what he's done at Villa. You know, and it, it's... Um, the Villa have paid a bit more of a premium for him with him being a bit of a younger player, but... Wilson's, you know, got the, he's just as good as assets. He knows where the goal is. So I think he has to come on, out on top as the best. I, you know, something I don't like commenting on when you comment about individuals or the worst or whatever. I just, but, you know, Jeff Hendricks has had a tough time. A very tough time. And yes, I think probably one of the main factors for Jeff is. He's not much different than the midfield players we already had at the club. Did we really need him? Um, has he be just been brought in as a body? Has he just been brought in as a squad filler? So you've got the numbers. Um, you know, he was always part. Of, he's he's always been part of a team that's been very hard working, both um, domestically and internationally. Part of the Republic of Ireland, who in the international stage have uh, this, you know thought process that they've got a real determination and work ethic about them and they never give up and he had that at Burnley as well we need we need someone a little bit different in the midfield area who we got later in the season Joe Willick who breaks from the middle and can score we also could do if we want to be greedy add someone who has a bit of um, you know the eye of a needle pass um, can do be a bit more creative. I know Shelby's got that type of ammunition sometimes in his locker. If he doesn't consistently look for that Hollywood pass for 60, 70 yards, he could be the one who threads it through the eye of a needle down the sides for a Wilson or someone like that. We didn't, in my opinion, we didn't need Jeff Hendricks, and I think that's worked against him. Probably a lot of the fans have become frustrated to think that as well. Why have we signed him? Because he's not any different to the to Sean Longstaff. Um, you know, if, if anything, young Matty's probably more dynamic, a bit more quicker around the pitch, gets around people quicker. So it was probably a sign and, you know, no fault of, of Jeff's because um, Jeff's just come and done what he done at Burnley and does it for Republic of Ireland. And he has other flair players around him. And I think what Newcastle were looking for in midfield was someone with a bit of flair, the, 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 the game changers. Um and, and 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 I think that's what's worked against him, unfortunately. Okay, um, good stuff, Liam. Same question to you, mate. I was going to say before I come on to my best and worst, it, I think it'd be rude of having considering we've got Lee Clark here, one of the most naturally gifted midfielders ever to come through at Newcastle United. I want to can I ask your opinion, Lee, on on 
on what you think of Matty Longstaff and Sean Longstaff. Because on this show, we have a lot of people come on and there's a lot of doubters out there say they don't think he, they don't think either of them's good enough to play Premier League level. I'm not in that, that camp at all. I think both the lads, having seen them play in the youth teams as well, are fantastic footballers, very different footballers, but fantastic in their own right. So say, for example, Lee, you've been coming through Newcastle before. If you've seen Newcastle sign, you're Matty Longstaff, and you see a Jeff Hendricks sign. How does that make you feel? Well, it makes you feel disappointed and angry, but what what you've got to do, you've got to respond to that. And you've got to actually have the mentality of embarrassing the manager that he's been foolish and signing Jeff Hendrick because you actually had someone better already in the club. Obviously, I know Sean very well. I gave him his first opportunity as a professional in terms of his loan up in Kilmarnock. So I've worked with him. I know what he's about. And you're absolutely spot on that him and Matty are completely different footballers, even though they both play centre midfield. Sean has got a... He has. He has got the potential to be a box-to-box player who can get you the goal. Can he be as prolific as a Willick? I'm not too sure because he's just took midfield goal scoring to a new level since he's been at Newcastle with Willick, which is an outstanding what he's achieved. You know, to score field. It was an achievement for Shearer to do it. So for a midfield player to do it is is phenomenal return. Matty, as I just touched upon earlier as well, is more of a little pocket rocket, gets in around you, shorter, quicker passes, one twos, give and goes, gets around the opponents, harries them, you know, snaps at their ankles, and then can hit the hit the longer shot from deeper, i.e. his goal against Man United and stuff like that. So I think what they've got to do, we've got to refocus. It's been a tough season for them both. Certainly for Matty, he hasn't seen a lot of game time. But Sean as well. They've got to refocus. They've got to think about the players that are around them, the, the opponents that they had. That was one of the things that drove me under Keegan. He was always signing player after player after player. And I've seen off most of the challengers. You know, and uh, I had to raise my game. I had to maybe play in a different way. I maybe, you know, had to do something different. And I think this is the crossroads Sean and Matty are at. What what they want to do? Are they prepared to stay and fight? Um, are they? And then if they are, what they got to do to make sure they're the number one pick alongside someone else in the midfield? But what they've got to basically do is get in that position where they embarrass the manager. That if he ever leaves them out, when they get in the team, they play that well. Everyone's questioning the manager. Why did you leave them out? That's what you want as a manager. You don't hide from that. You'd rather have that than five or six players keep playing poorly and people are questioning your judgment on your recruitment and etc. You want players who, when they get the opportunity, they put you under severe pressure. I say it to the, when I've managed players all the time, give me the most difficult decision on a Saturday because I can only pick 11. But I want about 18 or 19 players really who should be worthy of playing in the 11. One of my old managers who had a great saying, play yourself into my team and don't play yourself out. I don't drop you, you leave yourself out. And that's the way it is. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, great stuff. Go on then there. Go on then. Have you had time to think? I know I have. I thought was I just I was stolen, wasn't I? Because I wasn't quite (laughs) sure. So I'm gonna go for Joe Willicker's sign in the season simply because like I said, he he he, I, I I did toy with Callum Wilson because he did it over the full season. And, and like we've said before, for all the obvious reasons, goals win your games, goals get you up the division. But I think um, I think Joe will have brought that and more. Um, I think I've not seen a player in black and white make runs like he does into the box since we had uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum. Just those late-timed runs into the box always gets on the end of things. Just like a natural instinct that he's got as a midfielder. Um, and I'm not seeing, I've not seen somebody get about the pitch in the middle of midfield and he's better than him. But like Modi Army used to get get in and about people, close the gaps really quickly. Um, so I think he, he brought a whole lot more than just those goals. So he's the signing for me that uh, made the most difference because without him, I feel any casting might have struggled, um, struggled uh, without those goals and without that influence. Um, worst signing the season for me has got to be Ryan Fraser. Um, and I, I agree with everything that Lee said on, on Jeff Hendrick because Jeff Hendrick for me didn't come with a lot of expectation but hasn't delivered a lot either. That was Ryan Fraser, I expected a lot more. Um, and I think Steve Bruce has touched upon um, a lot of the reasons why. And it is an excuse making. I do tend, I agree with Steve Bruce on this. The lads struggle for pre-seasons. His last two pre-seasons have been totally ruined. Um, you know, that last summer he didn't have one. He was training by himself down in Bournemouth. 
Um, and I think that does make a big difference for a player um, going into a season when they haven't got that uh, foundation uh, going into the season because it's always harder to get yourself fit when you're playing than, than get yourself fit properly in the summer and then keep it ticking over. So I think I think that's one of the things with me, Ryan Fraser. There are mitigating factors. There are reasons as to why he hasn't. But I did expect him to come in and hit the ground running, creating goals and scoring goals, and we just didn't see enough of that. Well, I, I don't disagree with you there, Liam, and it's a good point. Um, you know, I haven't been particularly impressed by him. And when you see Miss Crucial pre-season, which is unbelievably crucial, if supporters don't realise what it, how important it is to a player, you know, I've experienced it myself. When you have a great pre-season, you fly and the season just starts great. When you're coming back from a long-term injury, which I've also done, and you're not doing the work that the other lads are doing, your season ahead, it becomes bit, you become stop-start, you pick up little niggles. It's a crucial part. And Ryan Fraser made that choice when he decided not to continue to play for Bournemouth at the end of his contract, which I thought was disappointing. I don't know the lad. You know, he's probably a cracking guy, but from the outside, that looked a really poor, poor decision, uh, both for his club that, you you know, would give him an opportunity to try and help them stay in the league, but for himself, because like you said, you know, he came out of contract, he hadn't trained for a while, and that's like missing a pre-season. You, your season becomes stop-start, it becomes bitty, and that's what's happened with Ryan Fraser. He's picked up daft niggly injuries, thigh strain here, yeah, calf strain, groin, never got a consistent run of games, and uh, I couldn't disagree with what Liam said. He, w- w- there'll be a lot of expectation on his shoulders next season. Yep, there will be. Okay, final one uh, for the season review, and then we'll start taking some questions from uh, the people in the chat. Goal of the season uh, for Newcastle United, Lee? I'm going to go for St Maxim at Burnley um, for lots of factors. One, it was just typical of him. Outstanding bits of dribbling ability at speed. He does it. He's, he's probably as close as I've seen to Ginola, who goes past people so easily. He can take it in any situation as well. He can take it with space and turn at the fullback and beat him. He can take it in a tight area and use a bit of skill and his body strength and beat him. Um, yeah, he can get better and improve like everyone can with his end product. But that day down at Burnley, he made the first one. He made one for Murphy. Outstanding bit of play and that was a terrific finish. Um, you know, another lad who I've had on loan before, my managerial travel. So... And obviously, he's winning goal. And, and, and why it was such a fantastic goal, but such an important one. I think it was the first win after that horrendous run of, what, two two wins in 20 or two wins in 22. And I think we'd got a draw against Spurs, I think. And then we went to Burnley and, and they were around us. And we played really offensively and played well. And, and, and he was inspired in that goal for many different reasons. It was a fantastic goal in itself, but for the reasons why as well. It was it was important. So I, I judge them on the importance. You can score a 40-yard on the top corner, but if you've lost 2-1, it means nothing to me. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, and Liam, your goal of the season? Well, I went with the drama for the game of the season with Southampton. I'm going to go for the drama again with the goal, and it's Joe Willock's goal in 90 plus 4, I think it was, at Anfield. To get a point at a place where Newcastle he'd never, ever get points in the Premier League era. And I think you have to go back to, to your time, probably, late to, to get a win um, yeah. at Anfield in the Premier League. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that, uh, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm going for that one. I'm going... Um, just because the, the, the bit that went before, it really makes it. That Newcastle United had done all right. They'd, they'd kept themselves hanging in the game. Um, you know, after that first half, they got battered a little bit, but when it got to half-time, you thought at least they're in it. And... and and Liverpool set off a little bit. There was a couple of tactical tweaks made by both managers, and it just it was a really tight game. And Callum Wilson pops up with that goal as he does off the bench, and you think you're in dreamland. Everybody's celebrating and think, thinking they've got it, and it's it's ruled out for one of the most innocuous touches on a hand that you'll ever see. Um, but the new rules is the way they are. That if it comes off your hand, it's it's not a goal. Agree or disagree? To then all of a sudden you think that's it. You'll, you'll not get a point today after all that. To then go and get a point in the end was just an incredible, a cr- incredible win. Uh, sorry, incredible goal uh, in an incredible moment mate, for me, really. Yeah, good point as well, mate. Um, and uh, thanks for uh, giving us your uh, opinions on those things, lads. We'll try and take some questions now. We've got about 24 minutes left. And um, 
Try and whiz through yours, Liam, so that Lee can get a, a bit of a, a word yeah. in edgeways. Nobody wants to hear from me, the Well, Nobody yeah, wants to hear from me. but there are a couple of questions. Um, this is Darren saying, is there any truth in Bruce being linked with the Everton job? Well, I'll answer that. I think, yes, there is. But he's been linked by all Newcastle fans on social media. Uh, nothing genuine in that. There's more more people linking Rafa Benitez with that as well. But, um, yeah, it's codswallop, I would say, um, if you want the honest uh, opinion on that. Uh, Tom Dixon says, Liam, are Newcastle still confident they can pull off a deal for Celtic centre-half uh, Adja? Um, obviously linked as potentially the first signing that's going to come through the door, which seemed to have fans in an uproar yesterday. Um, but then I pointed out that Van Dyke was also signed from Celtic and look what happened with him at Liverpool. So you never know. What's your thoughts on him, but, Liam? But is, can I, can I just go on, Lee. Well, you know him. I, you know him, Lee. I signed, I signed Christopher the CMD. I signed Sean Longstaff. Yeah. It, you you think he, you think you think you'd be a good player, Liam, for Newcastle? He's, outsta he's outstanding. There we go, then. So you're he's backing up what I'm saying. He's an outstanding young player, and I've seen a price of sixty-eight million quoted. And you can, there's a player you can even you can improve. He's got, and when I signed him from off Brendan, Brendan was manager of Celtic at the time. We had an agreement, even though we knew he was going to be a centre half. I agreed we were going to play him as a centre midfield player, so he could get used to playing with the ball in tight areas. So when he moved back to centre half, he could be a ball playing centre back. And that's what he done. So he, he pleased to play in centre mid with Sean. I had the two of them. And then the odd time I had a couple of injuries and I had to move him back to centre back for a few minutes, like last 10, 15 minutes. He's an unbelievable professional. He's captain of Norway when he was still a teenager. Um he is six foot six, always wants to stay back and get better, do extra. And for the prices that you get quoted. There's, there's a lot of ability there. Yes, there's some rawness around him and there's some rough edges that need smoothed out. But like you said, not many clubs wanted to take that risk on Van Dijk from Celtic because they were saying, oh, the Scottish game's so poor, he doesn't get tested or this, that and the other. This is a boy who is a potential to come in of those figures and then be worth a hell of a lot more and could be a massive asset uh, to Newcastle United for the... the uh, the assets that he has, yes, he has some weaknesses, of course, but they can easily be ironed out because there's a player there who wants to be at the very, very top and he's prepared to do anything in his power to do that. And there is ability, I would definitely be taking him without those type of figures. And I hope you've got some positive news, Liam. Go on, Liam. Over <laughs> to you. The pressure's on you now, mate. <laughs> the only... The only thing I would say about it, and this isn't anything as a player, because I, I agree with everything. It's great to have that insight that Lee's got, having had him at Kilmarnock. Um, but I, I look back on, I look back on, uh, I worked in Scotland for five years as well, and, and I seen Van Dyke at Celtic, and I remember being at Dens Park one day, and he picked the ball up on the edge of the 18-yard box, strode 40, 50 yards with the ball, and had a shot that whizzed past the post. And you're looking at this lad having gone past five players, and you think, wow, that's he's an unbelievable footballer. But there's always that doubt in your mind. You're looking at it going, well, will he be any good against a challenge, a constant challenge throughout the 90 minutes in a Premier League centre forward in the Premier League setting? And you've got to have that same question mark about Aya as well. You've got to look at him and say, has he got that? Has he got that defensive focus in the, the, the 90 minutes? Look, he looks a fantastic player. He's six foot six, as you said, and he's a good, good footballer. He can bring the ball out. I watched them look last season. Um, I know a lot of people up there. Last season wasn't his best season for Celtic, but there wasn't a very it wasn't a very good season for Celtic anyway. I don't think he had a great season, but watching him even I watched the last Old Firm game. I watched it from start to finish, and they conceded four goals. He was maybe to blame for one of the goals, but what I was looking for was the player himself and seeing can he fit into Newcastle United's team. And I'm seeing I'm seeing the, the Fabian Shaw ability and to be able to stride out with the ball, have the confidence to do that, always with the ball at feet. We had Lejeune who did that kind of thing. And I think he's an upgrade on, on that kind of player. But he's got the height as well. So he says he's an upgrade on Lascelles potentially as well. So I'm looking at it saying it will be a fantastic signing. But the, the negative I was going to come on to is, look, there is a confidence. He's a player they've been watching for quite some time. But there are a lot of clubs watching him as well. A lot of clubs on the continent. And you can they haven't got a lot of money this summer. And that's the problem. If you're hassling and, and about little bits of money here and there, 
you're always at risk of somebody coming in and saying, look, we'll give you that extra 500 grand. We'll give you extra million. And that's this kind of situation you cast United and Steve Bruce finds himself in this summer. That he's got these players that he's looked at and they've been looking at all through the summer, uh, all through the season. Been watching, I've been watching Aya for about 18 months at Celtic, two years. They'll look, they'll, they've got a fear of losing these players. If somebody comes in and says, well, we'll just give you straight 9 million, you cast United and then, then they've got to come up with the money themselves. And I'm not sure the money's there this summer, but Look, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out. I would. I would say he's 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 one. He's one at this stage that I think is more likely to walk through the door than not at Newcastle United. But there is always that risk somebody else can come in and go something. Well, I totally agree with you. I mean, um, I, I like the fact he's had a, he's had a very tough season uh, at a club with massive expectations last year. But before that, he's come off the back of a treble, treble, and all that. So he's in, he's had massive highs and he's had a massive low. Because finishing second means Scotland, and especially when the big rival wins it, it's absolutely the worst thing that could happen. And and as I said, he's already captained his country on numerous occasions for a young player. So what he's got for a, in abundance for such a young lad, he's got so much experience. Um, and I think for once in a while, Newcastle are going to have to take a chance back on these Scottish lads because I did recommend them, Kieran Turney. When I was manager of Kilmarnock, when he absolutely destroyed with an attacking left back, he had the quads <laughs> yeah. of a Mark Hughes. And I knew they were represented at the game. And I went into the scout straight after the game and I said, Whatever you do, make sure Newcastle sign him ASAP. The rest's history. And that <laughs> must have been that must have been two and a half years before you end up going to Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable, isn't it? I, unbelievable. I, was there, I was there for his debut. We made his Celtic debut against Dundee at Dens Park. That's where I used to work with Dundee. And, and you could tell even then he come on for 10 minutes, you know, like, wow, look at this kid. Like, honestly, yeah. he was something else and, and he's gone on even even better. And fit, fit, look at fitness this. level's ridiculous and quads, like, you wouldn't, like, he's got a hammer in both feet because <laughs> of them quads. <laughs> Uh, something about last season, Jeff says, uh, what do you think changed in our midfield in the second half of the season, Lee? And what changes do you think still need to be made? Well, Good what question. changed in the midfield, we had completely different dynamics because we had a player who could break from deep and break late. The later the run, the better. Um, and, and that's what Willick gave us. He gave us someone who could... You know, while, <clears throat> while the opponent's ball watching, he could drift into attacking positions, whether that's to play off a layoff, off a striker, off a long ball over the top if the strikers come short. He could score any kind of goal, you know, by what he'd done. He scored some great, the fantastic dribble. I know he got a little bit of a ricochet at the end of it at Fulham, but the movement and, and the skill to beat those few players, he got up into the box and scored some great headers. And then it allowed Shelby to go a bit deeper and, and get the ball and start their passing. And I just think that we need a, you know, well, we don't need, we've got them. If they want it, if they want to do it, we've got the long staffs. How badly do they want to do it? They have, they do have those assets. That's what, what's required. You know, we can it we kind of just have three players the same if we're going to play the 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. Three, three. We kind of have three players identical to each other playing in there. We need all different types to balance off each other you know the, the good thing for me when I played at the start and I used to like to break forward I started with Paul Bracewell who Paul was just sit and keep everything tight at the back and allowed me to bomb forward you know I had it later on um, with other players uh, Barry Venison done it um, you know uh, Rob Lee me and Rob used to alternate who would go forward and who would sit when Bats was played in there and I played alongside Bats, it would be the same. You know, you, you had all these different types of players um, that allowed you just to go and break forward. I had it at Sunderland with Kevin Ball. Kevin will just sit in there for us. And, and you cannot have the players the same. So what the, what I had at the end, I had someone who went and broke the line, someone who would go deeper and start the play. But you need, if you're going to have that player... He has to be like a quarterback. He has to be productive. He has to be a forward thinker. I remember the McLaren era. I used to tear my hair out watching the team. Jack Colbeck used to run for the ball in between the two centre-halves. He'd get it off them and he'd pass it square to the full-back. Could the centre-halves not have just done that and Colbeck be 30 yards higher up the pitch to play against their midfield? Because we weren't making any uh, inroads into our opponent. So that's been, the, that's been the biggest thing for me. So Newcastle... 
I think it's going to be difficult. Would I love them? To, I'd love them to sign Willick. It would be an outstanding signing. I don't think uh, in my wildest dreams we think it's going to happen. I think because you'd be questions asked of Arteta and Arsenal if they want to sell him. What's one if he doesn't rate him? What's his uh, opinion on players? But two, if they do sell him, are they desperate for the money? Another cronk is leading Arsenal fans up the path, and I just as Liam's already touched on. Is the money there? Is the money there for, to, you know, the, I've seen the figure out of 20. I think that might have been the figure when he first signed for Newcastle 20. I think that might have went up by another 20. When you've scored a seven in seven games in the Premier League from midfield, that's adding a lot of value to you, I'm telling you. Is there a deal to be done there, Lee, with potentially Woodman going the other way or, you know, another player? I mean, ASM has been mentioned. There's a lot of noise about ASM. I think he's going to certainly look and see what, what kind of players are coming in and whether the takeover potentially goes through and whether Bruce is still a manager before he makes any kind of movement. But, you know, is there is there any scope, do you think, in, in Woodman potentially going? Would you be upset at that? Because we've, we've got an over an overspill of keepers as usual. Um, well, Freddie's another one with a link to his. I signed Freddie for Kilmarnock as well. Every player we've got, yes, I'm signing them. I could have had some team if I kept these loan signings together. Don't worry, they'll all be in Sudan shortly. I had Ravel Morrison and Jesse Lingard. Wow, what a team I would have had. If I had any, if I had took any managerial jobs with any money, I could have produced a good team. <laughs> um, Listen, it's you know what I'm going to say it at the moment. Go on. Is Arsenal a step up from Newcastle for St. Maxim? I don't think so. I don't like the way Arsenal play. I don't think they're very strong. I think there is, you know, that they're not as productive as they were going forward. They're certainly as weak as they have been in many years defensively. I think they've got a big rebuilding job to go on, and I don't. I'm not sure whether they've got a new ownership group who are prepared to fund that change because that's going to take a lot of money for them to get back to where they were. Sometimes they say the grass isn't always green. I'm when all those people were shouting for Orson Wenger because they were getting bored. We just finished with fourth. They might be having a rethink now of forcing that guy out. They should have, you know, there should have been some kind of um, development going on. They should have pointed somebody inside the club to learn under Wenger over the reins. Um, you know, he'd done some unbelievable things for that football club. Yes, towards the end, things had changed. But you cannot forget what he'd done over a long period of time because one of two years, because they had to put money into other uh, assets in the football club, i.e. the building of the new stadium and of the training ground. So I would, if, if, if I was advising St Maxim, I'd be saying, well, I'm not too sure Arsenal from Newcastle is, is is the jump that you need. I don't. I think you stay another period at Newcastle and you keep producing on a, on you know and stay fit. Yeah, unfortunately, got hit with the COVID, and you know there'll be more clubs that are playing for higher prizes than Arsenal come for them. I would have thought. Yeah, OK. Uh, question for Liam. Is the fun 8-8 deal over? Because the three years have passed. A lot of eagle-eyed Newcastle fans, of course, were uh, looking at the uh, photographs of the pitch being torn up and saw Castoria's uh, badge up there. But, I mean, any news on that, Liam? Good question, uh, Ginger. Um, I'm going to sound as professional as ever. I don't know. I'll find out for next week. I'm not sure exactly what the situation is on that one, but we'll find out. I'll, I'll ask a few questions and see where we're at. But obviously, we know the kit deal is going to be Castoria, and that'll get announced, you would imagine, imminently, I would think, given that they've, they've put the Wolves one out in the last three weeks. You would think you're It's probably just waiting for the end of the Puma one. I think that comes to a, comes to a close this month. Yep, Toon 2020 will allow you to have the takeover question the night. He says, Liam, does the UEFA chief coming out and saying no problems with the state wealth fund have any bearing on the takeover? Now, this is something I've seen some of the, uh, what I would call um, pessimists in the anti-takeover brigade come out and actually put out there. And that's It is quite a positive for the takeover, but, you know, what's your take on it, Liam? Look, I can't say it being a negative. If you have the, the chief of UEFA coming out and saying you've got absolutely no problem with that, but I don't necessarily think it's the state ownership that is the biggest problem for the Premier League. I think it always boils back down. Um, the way they wanted to reject it, 
they never did reject it, as we all know. But the way they wanted to reject it was on the grounds of piracy. They wanted to link PIF with the Saudi state. They wanted to be continue to be intrinsically linked. And then they could have turned around and said, look, you've been stealing what, stealing what, what property for the last X amount of years through all of these different means. And I think that's the, the biggest issue here is that we're going to, we're going to see that all play out. And I think um, I had I get a lot of questions in the week asking me what, what this means, what that means, what it doesn't. Look, there's going to be a lot of water under the bridge over the next month or two. And hopefully for everybody's sanity, for everybody, so even just the manager, so he can move on, the players, um, everybody involved at that football club, um, to be able to just have some closure, whether it's going to happen or not. I think we'll know a lot more probably by August. And I think we need to know a lot more because it's not healthy for Newcastle United just sort of hanging in the balance which they have effectively been for the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, Clark, he moved the sedan to get away from the takeover, talk over. That's how bad it is. Uh, Jason Carter <laughs> hey, says, Steve, Lee, Steve, yeah. Steve, I haven't, I haven't really got away from it. My honorary president here at the club, he's a Saudi sheikh. Does he want to buy the club instead? Oh. <laughs> before he mentioned how I was enjoying it at Marik, he was asking about the castle. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's great. That's great. So there's, there's Liam's headline tomorrow. Your uh, Sheik wants to buy the club. Uh, Jason, speaking of Sheik, Jason Carter says, Lee, you should book the Arabic Elvis impersonator. Hamal shook up. Very good, Jason. That's, <laughs> that's, good, that's as good as the jokes get in Germany, by the way. Uh, Billy just says, has the pandemic affected football in the Middle East in a similar way to here, Lee? Obviously, you mentioned earlier no fans. Has, has anything else been uh, affected? Yeah, it's very similar, uh, Steve, to the UK, to be honest with you. We've, um, you know, had restrictions and what they've done in the league here with our ground and Hilal's ground and there's, a, there's another ground which is of a poorer standard in, in Khartoum. Those three grounds are used to um, play all the league games, so there's not so much travelling around the country with the COVID. Obviously, no fans allowed. Um, you know, we had a, we had a, a ridiculous incident in the African Champions League. Um, we went to play in uh, Tanzania and played a club called Simba. And the, the, the head coach of Simba was head coach here before I took over. So he knew all the players. He knew who the best players were and who were important players. So we got that we're PCR test to leave to go to Tanzania. Then you have to, three days before the game, have a another PCR test over there which is meant to be produced by CAF you're meant to be with a CAF doctor which is equivalent to UEFA over here and that wasn't happening so we ended up having to go to a local hospital and then three hours before the kickoff, I'd named me start 11 and I had to eight of me start 11 but tested well apparently it tested positive for COVID <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to change my team um, play lads who hadn't played, trained in many days because they were injured or youngsters and put up a great fight, we ended up losing the game, but the lads were superb. I lost eight of my best players from the starting eleven. Gosh. Uh, uh, and so those lads had to stay back and they got tested again after the game and they were negative. <laughs> so they were oh, negative nah. after the game and they were negative when we flew to Tanzania, but so there was a little bit of... Uh, Dodgy dealing going on. So you can imagine me press conference after the game wasn't very politically correct, to say the least. <laughs> A lot of people uh, just saying, welcome to Africa. So, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. that. John, John Askew says, do you decide the transfers or is it the club officials? Um, well, we... there's a, Obviously, to, to know about the local players, I have to lean on some of the staff. But I get the chance um, to go and watch some of the games of the, of the other clubs. As I said to you, like for example, tomorrow uh, we play at seven o'clock and, the, and there's a game on before us because they're using our stadium as one of the venues with the COVID. Uh, there's a game on before us at four. So I'll go early and watch that game and obviously to, to watch future opponents, but to see if there's any players there. And as I said, I'm getting a plethora of agents from all over all over the world contacting us um, for, for about players. I was, you know, just in the last window before it shut, we were on the verge of signing a, a Brazilian left-back uh, on loan, but that didn't materialise before the window shut. So, I have the final say, but if I need help, which I will, you know, on certain players, 
you know, I'm not going to come over and know every player in the African continent or whatever, but I'm starting to see a lot of games, whether it be through the footage or, um, you know, in person. And then I decide, I decide with the, with the president and and then the committee. So, you know, I'm off to meet him after this meeting, actually, in 10 minutes, I'm off to his office to have a chat with him about one or two things going forward. Good stuff. A lot of people asking the same question as Chris and Steve. How's Bobby getting on at Newcastle, mate? Yeah, he's he's ready to start on the 1st of July um, as in his scholarship. So going from boys football to men, which is a massive step. I experienced it myself and the change is, is huge. So it's a big opportunity for him, but we understand that it'll, it'll take time. Um there's been some nonsensical stories in the last few weeks published on social media with regards to him, which have been totally out. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. Talking about certain clubs turned down the opportunity to sign him, which has never been the case because he's never been offered to those clubs. Uh, you know, this, that's not allowed. If anyone wanted to be interested in him and show an interest in him, they've got to go through the right channels at Newcastle. So that that was one nonsensical story that got brought up. So it's starting. It's very similar to the path I trod in terms of I, got, I had to get used to the the media intrusion from a young age. Obviously, there's a lot more of it now for Bobby to having to handle with social media. But listen, if he's so lucky, if he's as lucky as I was, and he gets that opportunity to play at St James's Park, full house for the first team. There wouldn't be a prouder person uh, from the area than f for me to be in that stadium and see my son pull on the black and white shirt. And I, I don't think, off the top of my head, I don't know if there's a long list of fathers and sons who've done it. So, of course, that would that's something that I would uh, want to see. But it's Bobby's decision. It's his future. It's, it's his career. And we've just got to see how it pans out. Yep, here, here, mate, and uh, wish them all the best from uh, from us at NUFC Matters. Me in particular, life goals uh, has a question for Liam. He says, any news on Willems, the the Wigan striker, and Josh King? So, any transfer news in general, Liam? Uh, Josh King's not one that I've heard mentioned recently. I know there was a little bit of uh, mention of it in January and previous to that as well. Um, the Wigan striker Joseph, I think he's called Kyle Joseph. I, I think that's one that will go through this summer. Speaking of people who've seen him play, um, I think he works really hard. A workhorse up front has definitely got ability. It could be one that really sort of um, improves with some proper, you know, not that he's had good coaching. It's not that he had bad coaching, but, you know, in a different environment in Newcastle um, with different opportunities at a higher level, I think he could come on. Um, Willems is a funny one. I don't see Jethro Willems coming through the door unless Matt Ritchie leaves. Um, and I think Matt Ritchie's one of those ones where... He's a footballer that's always been first-team player throughout his career. And last season was the first season in his career that he was not a first-team player. And I think that's been playing on his mind a lot. He's a player who wanted to go back down to the South Coast. But I think if he was guaranteed to start week in, week out in Newcastle, he would have stayed and wanted to stay here. But I think that's an interesting one. It's one we'll have to watch out the summer is, is um, Richie goes, uh, Willems comes in. And one point I will make on that one is that if you're looking... I, I, I wouldn't want to lose Richie because I think he brings a real positive energy, a combative, you know, um, competitive energy into the team. And I think you need that. But what they're probably looking at is they're going to have to do a bit of uh, boxing clever with their transfers this summer. And if they can maybe bring a Willems in for nothing and get rid of a Richie to Bournemouth for £5 million to bring that £5 million back into the pot, it might be a deal that they look to do, especially with a player potentially looking at the squad saying, am I definitely going to play here week in, week out? And wanting to potentially move as well. And that's not that's no slight on Matt Ritchie, by the way. He's a top class professional. He wants to play for Newcastle United, but the lad just wants to play football. He's done it throughout his career. He's never been a second choice, no matter where he's went, and he doesn't want to be now. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we'll finish on the England squad, uh, Lee. Uh, you've had time maybe to see it, uh, I'll presume. Gareth Southgate's England squad, the unlucky seven, obviously, that were phased out today. It was a strange way of doing it with everybody else announcing their, uh, the, you know, their squads for last last week. But, um, but yeah, I mean, what, what was your take on that England squad and how do you think they'll do with the Euros, says Keith? Well, unfortunately for Gareth, but great for English football, I think the delay was down to the having three teams competing in the two European finals. Yeah. And he had to see if anyone picked up serious injuries, etc. You know, he already had the, the issues with Maguire um, as such. So, hey, listen, 
what a tough position for the England manager to be in. We've got some unbelievable young players. You know, there was talk of this Trent Alexander-Arnold being left out. I mean, wow. If he was Brazilian, they'd be going crazy for him. We've got to keep faith with these lads. He was another one. We touched on it with you and Christopher Asia before with Celtic. Trent Alexander-Arnold when Liverpool won the league. Outstanding assists, fitness levels, quality set player deliveries. Yes, he hadn't reached his own high standards last season and Liverpool didn't themselves, but he's still done some fantastic things and he had a blip, which young players do. But he's still a brilliant footballer. And Gareth had this choice. He's picked four right-backs in his squad. Look at the potential he had with the number 10s he could have. Madison, Mount, Foden. Wow. I mean... To, to leave some, I've just been telling you there what it's like in a manager scenario, saying to the players, give us a problem when I've got to pick the 11. I mean, Gareth's had that in, a, in, in so much uh, in terms of having to pick this squad for the Euros and the disappointment, the quality of player who hasn't even made the squad that have seen Ollie Watkins' fantastic season, James Ward Prowse, Lingard. It's, you know, it's had a brilliant time at West Ham. It's, it's, it's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking for them. It'll be hot. I'll tell you who'll be feeling terrible. Gareth Southgate. Be feeling awful. I've had to go through it myself. And I tell you, this, this part of management is the worst part. I've been part of a process when I've had to tell young players and other players are not getting contracts. It's the worst day of a manager, manager's career. Telling someone you're, you're breaking their heart, you're, you're crushing their dreams. You've got to try and, well, you're giving them that awful news trying to keep them to keep their spirits high and bounce back for the next time. So, you know, tough call. He's picked a great squad. I expect us to be challenging for the major trophies with the players. You know, I had it in the May era when we got talking about in the golden generation, but that can never be given as a title to that group because they never delivered on the big stage. This group can, without a doubt, and I, hope, I sincerely hope they do. Great stuff, uh, Liam. Your thoughts on the uh, the squad? Like, there's obvious quality not in that squad, and, and it's it's one thing that I've, I've seen all week on social media is people saying, "Oh, the biggest mistake you'll ever make is not picked up here. The biggest mistake you'll ever make is not picked up here." Let's just stop all the negativity, man. The ball hasn't been kicked yet. The blokes just give the bloke a chance. He's went and picked a really good squad, arguably the best squad that's been available probably in a generation of players. Um, probably going back 20 years before you've had any kind of uh, players of this this kind of level in this kind of depth. Um, look, I think it's a really good squad. I'll, I'll look beyond it and say, look, it's a shame Mason... I, I really want to see Mason Greenwood get in that squad because I think he's, he's such a natural centre-forward. can finish with both feet, but he's got that injury. And like you said, Lee, it's these ones that have had to watch out for. Manchester United were playing right on the last day of the season. And you have to watch out for these players, and he's one that drops out with injury. But I, I can't help but watch this squad, and, and and I think back to when the tournament should have been played last year, and I look at one player, and, and it's, it's such a dilemma because he's just picked up a Champions League winners' medal, having not been in the squad in the final. By the way, Tammy Abraham, for example, probably would have started last last year, but would have been the first sub in the in the the, the squad last summer. He's not even in the conversations this year. He stayed at Chelsea. He's probably got a medal that he might not get elsewhere. But was that really the right call for that player? Should he have gone elsewhere? Could he have gone and played? And he probably would be in an England squad that might go and win a Euros, might win a World Cup next year. You never know. There's players like that that even when you look beyond the obvious quality, there's so much depth there. There's there's probably um, six or seven players in almost every position, probably apart from the centre-halves, really, when you look through the whole squad. It's, it's a fantastic position to be in for, for Gareth Southgate in English football. Yeah, it is. And Lee's, oh, there we go. Yeah, I mean, great, great to have you on, Lee. You're in. I think, I think the president must have cut the lecky off. <laughs> it's time to go. It's time to go. He's looking at uh, the watch, isn't he? He is. He's looking at the watch. Big shout out to a uh, big shout out to our sponsors as always. Spider VPN for all your internet security. Uh, just Google Spider VPN. They can protect your passwords, etc. Skipsandbins.com. Telephone 0800 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website www.skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay as you go. Waste collection. Also a big shout out to John Tech Shop. UK and to John at Jab Signature as well. Make sure you do 
donate to the food bank and UFC fans, foodbank.co.uk. Uh, that's the match day bucket, but you can still donate all the way through the summer to make sure that the food bank is supported. And uh, you also enter into the uh, the raffle for that watch, which is drawn on the 5th of August. So uh, don't forget, please keep supporting Newcastle's food bank. And uh, also um, a big shout out um, to everybody in the chat. Sorry we couldn't get all your questions tonight, but as as you would expect, it was always going to be a busy one having uh, Lee on uh, to chat as well about his, his fantastic uh, new job. Um, also want to say, if you're a first-time visitor at the channel, click the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner and subscribe. Hit the like button and comment and click the share button as well. And uh, the new Food Bank T-shirt is up. Um, it's a one-off. Any uh, UFC matters. Everything is my fault. T-shirt is now on my uh, Twitter account. And we've already got a bid straight in for that. £50 already been bid uh, for that T-shirt. Get onto me Twitter, at Steve Wraith. Make a bid. We'll draw that on Friday night show, The Three Amigos. Lee, any message for the Newcastle fans back home or your family and friends? Yeah, just enjoy the sun. I've heard it's a bit in 21-22. Just double it and had a little bit more on and that's what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, you're looking great, mate. Take care. We'll keep in touch See and we'll get guys. you back on over the next few weeks. Good luck with the Good game as well. Thank Take you. care. Cheers, guys. Bye. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, and last, uh, but by no means least, Liam, where can people find your work? As ever, just have a look down here at Liam J Kennedy twenty three. Work for the Shears Gazette. If you like the sort of stuff that I do on here, uh, check out my work. It's all in there, all in my Twitter account, and and um, give us a subscribe as well. We're working on a subscription system at the Gazette. We're not in all this clickbait rubbish you get elsewhere. We're just dealing proper facts, proper news, proper analysis. So yeah, if you if you like what we do, it's about thirty five quid for a year's uh, subscription. You get all the match day stuff and and all the bits in between as well. So yeah. You can all find, just have a look here and you'll find out all the details for that. Great stuff, mate. Are you going back out to get the last razor, son? I think I am, yeah. I think I'm going to go out <laughs> from the back to the front and where I'm going to go get a little bit more. Yeah, but wouldn't, not, wouldn't it? Because it'd be gone by the weekend, no doubt. It will, mate, it will. Well, I'm back tomorrow night with the Retro Squad. Uh, we are looking at Newcastle's games against Wigan Athletic. Yes, that's been a challenge as well. See you all six o'clock tomorrow. Take care. Good night. Cheers, Liam. Only way you're ever gonna learn your love back